This Wednesday evening, we continue our series wherein we're looking at what it means to be a member of a church, and particularly a member of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church and Sovereign Grace Presbyterian Church here in Hickory. So what we've done thus far is we have looked at the necessity um, for church members, to, or to, for, for Christians to be church members, that ordinarily in a Christian's life, they will be the mem- a member of a local church, a local body of Christ, where we are called to serve one another, to love one another, and to worship God together and to receive God's grace in the sacraments, in the means of grace, in the prayers of the church, and even, as we'll see a little bit this evening, through church discipline. In order to understand church membership, we've been looking at the five vows that we take uh, in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, These vows are a way of confessing the faith before men and before God. They are a way of owning our profession of uh, the gospel and doing so in a way in, in which we not only declare what we believe before others, but we also make promises before others. That's why the last two of the vows involve promises. Vow number four is the promise that in reliance upon the grace of God, we will serve him with all that is within us, forsake the world, resist the devil, put to death our sinful deeds and desires, and lead a godly life. And then vow five, which we began to look at last week and which we'll conclude this evening, begins with, do you promise to participate faithfully in this church's worship and service, to submit in the Lord to its government, and to heed its discipline even in case you should be found delinquent in doctrine or life. And it is to that vow that all of us, no matter what church uh, you're a member of, but that all of us, Lord willing, as Christians, would give a hearty I do, that we do promise to these things. And we saw last week that this involves promising to faithfully participate in the church's worship and service. And uh, primarily that means being there. It means being a part, engaged in the worship of the church because it's when we gather to worship that the church is the church. And it's when on the Lord's day we gather to give praise to God and to pray and to fellowship with one another and to serve each other. It's in that context that we are, you could say, uh, most Christian or at least most uh, clearly living out our Christian vocation and calling as worshipers of God. Remember, the main purpose of the church is worship, and every other purpose in the church's life uh, is subsumed under or wrapped around or pointed towards that uh, one main purpose of worship. So something like missions or evangelism is to serve worship. It's to make more people into worshipers of God. And then as Uh, We think of the discipleship ministries of the church. That is, ways that we are made more and more like Jesus reach their end and their goal in that we are enabled more and more to worship Christ and the Spirit, that we are enabled more and more to become better worshipers. That really is our life of discipleship. It is more and more to become what we are and will be for all eternity. That is, a uh, a people who are called to give Praise to God Almighty. This evening, we're looking at the second part of the vow, vow number five. Again, if you want to follow along in these, you can find them on the webpage for the OPC. That's opc.org. And I think at the top right side or so, there's a little uh, button for standards. And under that, you can go to the Book of Church Order and uh, from there get to the directory for worship. It might sound a bit convoluted. 
But um, Lord willing, you can find this. Again, I'll read through it again. The second or this uh, fifth vow is, do you promise to participate faithfully in the church's worship and service? That's what we saw last week. This week we'll pick up from here on. And to submit in the Lord to its government and to heed its discipline, even in case you should be found delinquent in doctrine or life. The second part of this promise deals with submission, a word that really doesn't gain a lot of traction in our culture. Uh, we are a people who love freedom. And so we hear the word submit and we immediately think that it is binding in the sense of um, eliminating and taking away some of our freedom. But that ideal, or that idea, sorry, should be far away from any understanding of biblical submission. Uh, whether it's in a family, say as a, a wife who's called to submit to her husband as the church submits to Jesus Christ, or in this case, whether it's in the church as we're called to submit uh, to the Lord, or in the Lord, to the government of his body, of his church. Uh, this submission is a holy calling. It's one that we find echoed throughout the scriptures uh, in a number of places. Uh, supreme, supreme among them is the book of Hebrews at the end of Hebrews Hebrews chapter 13. There are a number of places here, and I think we focused on some of these verses back in the first lesson in this series on church membership, and we'll return to them here. Uh, first, beginning with Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, we're told there. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then later on in that chapter, verse 17 and following, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You see, the call there is to the leaders of the church, that is the elders and the ministers that God has put in place over you in the Lord. The call is to have a holy submission towards them, but not to them as individuals, that is in their own persons, but to them as those who are called in the office of the minister or the office of elders, because it's in that office as leaders, as elders, that we, those of us who have that office, are uh, to to make an account, to give an account of. We have a, a descri job description, you could say, that attaches itself to our vocation, and that job description is to keep watch over your souls, to keep watch over the souls of those whom God has entrusted into our care uh, here at an, or here at the church, at an individual body of Christ um, in a local setting. You know, there is a reason why pastors are called pastors. The word pastor invokes a pastoral setting. Think of like uh, a shepherd with his sheep, because just as a shepherd is tasked to care for sheep and to feed them and to protect them and to guide them, so is a pastor, and by extension, an elder, whether a ruling elder or teaching elder, is to help to, to lead and guide and feed and care for and protect the sheep. And the sheep must, just like sheep in, uh, in a flock, uh, must listen to the voice of their shepherd. Now we understand the main, the ultimate, the uh, primary shepherd of the sheep whether in a local church or in the universal church, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is the great and good shepherd. Yet those elders whom he calls and, uh, and equips with ministry in the church, they are to function as under-shepherds, as vice-shepherds, 
ambassador shepherds, you might be able to say. That's why the vow here is appropriate when it says, and that's why the promise we make is appropriate to say that we submit in the Lord to the government of the church. That means that all that we um, do as ministers, as elders, in seeking to uh, lead and govern the church ought to be ministerial in function or in, in focus and declarative of the word of God. We don't have the power to legislate new laws or new rules for the church apart from what is found in scripture. Scripture is our guide. We must not uh, add to scripture. We can't go beyond it. Therefore, what you as a church member submit to whenever you take this vow is to follow really the word of God. The word of God as taught and proclaimed and declared in a ministerial way by the leaders in, in the churches. We do have, and I say this to any who are elders, who are listening or pastors, uh, we do have a high calling, and that high calling comes with great responsibility. That's why the writer to the Hebrews says that we have to uh, give account of the way we keep watch over those in our care. It's, it's uh, James who says in James chapter 3, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Therefore, those who labor primarily through teaching, through giving direction, through giving counsel, using the tongue in that function, are not only called to give an account, but held to a higher standard as teachers in the church. We will be judged with a greater strictness. And I can say that as a pastor, that is humbling. Uh, it's in some ways terrifying, because as James does say, it's very difficult not to sin with our mouth. And as the book of Proverbs says, with many words, their sin abounds. And that is true in the life of a minister, it's true in the life of an elder, just as it's true in the life of a church member. So this calling to watch and guide and care for the souls of people under the guidance and care of God, declaring his word, looking to Jesus Christ, it's a high calling, it's a humbling calling, in some ways it's a terrifying calling. And for you who make this vow, for you who belong to the church, uh, that's why you are tasked with not only submitting in the Lord, but doing so in such a way that, as going back to Hebrews 13, 17, that, that we ministers and elders might give an account with joy and not with groaning. Uh, that's actually in your good interest. That would be no advantage, advantage to you, the writer to the Hebrews says. So we're called in, this, in, in the Christian life to submit to those in governments of the church. You know, if you think in, in the, the civil realm, um, we're called to submit to the leaders that God places over us, uh, ministers, he calls them, uh, in the civil realm. That is our governmental authorities, you know, police officers, um, those who, who rule over us uh, in a governmental function. Um, we are called to submit uh, in the Lord. Again, unless we're told to do something strictly anti-biblical, our calling as Christians, even if we don't like it, is to pray for our leaders and to submit to them. Um, I'm recording this on the 20th of January. This is a very significant day in our country where we now have a new president and uh, we are called to submit uh, in the Lord to even him. Even if we don't uh, agree with his uh, practices and with his uh, leadership, still, as those who are called to live as Christians in this world, recognizing we are citizens of this uh, world, even though, we are, even though we are citizens of heaven, 
we still have this role and job to submit. So even if, especially if we're called in the, the civil realm, which is temporary and fading away, how much more then in the kingdom of God are we called to show a godly submission to those through whom Christ guides and directs and rules us. So we submit to the Lord, in the Lord, to the government of a local church. That oftentimes means a group of plurality of elders. We recognize in Presbyterian government that uh, that churchly authority doesn't exist in persons. It exists in a group of people, a session made up of ministers and elders. It's it's within that session that, and through those plurality of uh, officers, that plurality of officers, that Christ governs and rules his church. One of the ways we show this submission is to heed discipline in times during which we are found to be delinquent in doctrine and life. That's the, sec- the last part of this vow here. Do you promise to submit in the Lord to its government and to heed its discipline? You know, one of the one of the uh, marks of the church, as defined by the Reformers and those following the Reformers, is the uh, exercise, the right exercise of church discipline. Discipline, again, is another one of those words like submission that gets a terrible, terribly uh, bad rap. That is, it is only seen usually in a negative light. But for the Christian, for those who belong to the Lord, to God as our Father, who is a good Father to us, discipline, though it might be very painful, is always for our good. The Father never disciplines us in an ungodly way, of course not. The Father always disciplines us with our greater good and his greater glory in mind. Again, beginning, uh, finding ourselves in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, we consider this topic of discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And he quotes from Proverbs. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not Sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, in some cases of church discipline, uh, it can lead to uh, to uh, the exercise of the keys. So that's a, a phrase referring to Jesus' giving, giving to Peter, representing the uh, ministry of the church and the apostles, and that then goes on to the elders of the church, representing their calling to exercise church discipline. I mean, if, if in sad cases, it's required to excommunicate. To excommunicate means to declare that someone is not exhibiting the fruits of a true confession belonging to a Christian, and they are put out of the church. That is the uh, the most extreme end and sad end of discipline, but using the language here in Hebrews chapter 12, the ultimate goal of discipline is the glory of the Lord. It's God's glory in, in bringing us to a state of better holiness. It is for our good and for God's glory. Uh, it hurts. 
it hurts to be told that you're wrong. It hurts to be uh, disciplined. Um, in the church, that hurt is often uh, or, or never, never, uh, never physical, often of a, a spiritual sort. But it's, it's God's gift to us. And just as the Lord feeds us spiritually and just as the Lord works in our hearts spiritually and sustains our faith via means like preaching, prayer, and the sacraments, so he disciplines us via means like the ministers of the church. That's why in Matthew chapter 18, we're given the outline of generally speaking, not in every single case, but especially in cases that involve private offenses, if someone has sinned against you, you can uh, go to that person either one on one and uh, or one on one first to tell them your the, the fault that they have committed against you and plead with them to repent. And if they don't repent, then go with with others alongside uh, of you to plead with them. And then if they don't hear you, then then take it to the church and to the church there um, is worked out in our government by bringing it to the elders and the elders seek to uh, adjudicate it and urge for repentance. And if repentance is not had, then that person is treated like a tax collector or sinner that is no longer a part of the church and one who is in need of evangelization. This uh, discipline is something that we uh, look to uh, as a part of a church that is is uh, godly and biblical. They would have this discipline as a possibility, not only to be shown to others, but also to be received by even yourself. That means as you take this vow, you take it with a sobriety, knowing that even if we're found to be delinquent in two areas here, doctrine or life, doctrine meaning what we believe, if we are found to be believing a heretical teaching that is out of step with the uh, articles of Christianity, then we ought to be disciplined and we ought to receive such discipline with humility and repent of our waywardness. Or areas of life, that is, um, uh, things that we have done, uh, sins that are unrepented of, sins that would... Uh, be be disruptive of the unity of the church, sins that would put others in danger, sins that would bring harm to ourselves and to others. You know, it's just really any of the breaking of the Ten Commandments that is unrepented of can be subject to church discipline. And again, this is not for our, our bad. It's not for evil. It's for our good and for God's glory. So discipline in the church, we ought to give heed to it. It's a proper... Uh, environment in which to belong. It is actually not stifling and eliminating, or, or, or it's not something that eliminates our freedoms. It is an environment in which we can truly be free to pursue Christ and to do so with a humble reliance upon him and all the means that he has instituted for his glory and the good of our own spiritual life, such that we need people to keep us accountable. Uh, we need people to point us, point out areas in our life where we have gone astray. Now that happens. It happens in preaching. It happens when you are encouraged by a fellow brother or sister in Christ. It happens when you receive counsel from your elders or your pastor. In those moments, sometimes discipline can be as, or God's discipline of you through the ministry can be as simple as brother or sister. You are overcome with pride, and you need to repent of that, and you need to say you're sorry to someone for something you've done, you know, just to be general about it. In that case, that's an exercise of, of discipline. It's an exercise of, of, of grace for you to be made aware of sometimes things you are not aware of that you might repent and turn to the Lord. It happens again. It could happen in one-on-one -on -one counseling. It could happen in the ministry of the Word, in preaching on the Lord's Day that you are confronted with your sin and you are made aware of it, and therefore you ought to repent and turn to the Lord. This happens in the context of the local church. This 
the local church is a really a beautiful thing. It's uh, God's way of reaching the world and God's way of receiving worship for himself. It's through the local church. It's not glamorous. Uh, it's it's that sometimes sometimes it's not full of adventure, but it is full of life and true life and real life and ordinary life. It's found in the church. So I hope that as we've gone through this final vow and uh, as we wrap things up next week, and as you go back and listen to the I think the five or so studies that have preceded this, I hope that you're encouraged. I hope that you're encouraged. Uh, to, to love the church, to participate in the church. If you don't have a church, to seek out a church that is biblical and godly and that will honor the Lord Jesus Christ and will hold you accountable and will be a place in which you can serve and worship freely the God of all grace, I pray that God uses this for your good, even as he uses it for his glory. Again, next week we'll continue uh, or we'll conclude this series looking at a few of the statements about um, the privileges of membership in an Orthodox Presbyterian church, and uh, really in any church belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll also give a good review of what we've seen throughout this series. The Lord bless you and keep you. Amen.